My name is Willie Bolin. I study influence, persuasion, and leadership in selling and sales management, and I teach people how to sell. In this podcast, we'll talk to some of the world's top sales leaders and see what we can learn from them. Welcome to the Sales Lab. Hello, welcome to part one of our conversation with Matthew Isaac. Matthew is a professor at Seattle University, and I, like I've mentioned in the past, I don't want to bring a whole lot of professors on here. Uh, you know, I don't want it to be a podcast of professors talking about nerdy professor stuff that uh, might only be interesting to certain professors. But he is also a former consultant with ZS Associates, uh, I believe also Bain, and has a really great mind for thinking about how to connect research with the practice of sales. So this episode is called Sales Psychology. We're going to talk a little bit about the role of psychology in selling and sales management, topics like customer judgment, decision-making, cognitive biases, pretty interesting stuff. Hope you get something out of it. So I'm a consumer psychologist. Basically, I study how consumers make judgments and decisions very broadly. And so, you know, the kinds of things that I'm interested in involve cognitive biases, uh, you know, the use of heuristics, kind of shortcuts when we're making decisions that might lead to surprising or seemingly irrational kind of decisions. So those those sorts of things. And then not just showing these kind of weird biases, but also trying to understand uh, what fundamentally is driving that. So what are the underlying psychological processes for all of this? And so uh, so that may seem in some ways pretty removed from uh, sales, but but actually, I, I think there is a lot of uh, psychology that, that we probably need to understand more of in sales research. And, and even thinking back to a lot of the um, seminal kind of sales papers that, that I'm familiar with anyway, a, a lot of them focus on this kind of model of, of almost rationality and, you know, thinking about sales response curves and things like that. If you do X, you're going to get this sort of response. And, and I think we know that the world is is pretty complicated and there's a lot more that goes into uh, what gets, uh, you know, prospective customers to say yes beyond just are you uh, you know, going to see them every week, right? That it isn't just driven by something like that. There's a lot more uh, to unpack and understand. And I think that realization did come from, um, you know, my consulting experience. I think that, and that was very fascinating to me to kind of think about uh, these underlying, the underlying psychology of decision-making, uh, which is very relevant in, in sales. So, so that's kind of the background more, more generally on what I work on. And, you know, that touches on things like motivation, which is very important in sales. And, you know, I have some work looking at incentive compensation and thinking about what is more and less motivating for, for salespeople. So that's, uh, that's kind of broadly uh, what, what I study and what, what fascinates me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I don't usually try to talk to researchers uh, simply because I, I find it maybe uh, a little too uh, incestual or something for the, oh, the professor talks to professors about the interesting things they do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. But I, I did want to chat with you because you do have a considerable consulting experience and, and your research tends to connect in uh, specifically to practice in ways that sometimes I think most of us try to, but sometimes it doesn't quite hit the nail on the head. But uh, no, I, th I think you're absolutely right that uh, the we have we we have to create simplified models, right? We have to say, oh, okay, we're going to try to ask these types of questions. We're going to, you know, we, we have a roadmap to start with, and then we also sort of have this awareness that th that's probably not exactly how things are going to work out 
that's uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to come in and complicate that. And I find that I'm using the word nuance more and more uh, every single day that, um, you know, even something like the way we study influence tactics, right? Well, uh, I've written a couple of papers with Chris Plouffe now, mostly addressing the idea that we've got this very, very wrong. And and we put, you know, it, it would be much simpler just to write a paper with, you know, a handful of words that say, you know, we're doing this very wrong, but we have to blow that into 50 pages and and have these complex empirics that show, yeah, this doesn't really make sense. You know, you, you say, and even, even popular press books that we can go find, they'll say, you know, uh, tap into reciprocity, you know, give them something and then, then they'll reciprocate. Well, okay, you know, well, make make them like you, and and uh, yeah, sure, all of that on balance, um, probably a good idea. Uh, I would rather them like me than hate me, but that's not how I'm going to move them from point A to point B when I'm selling a really complex solution, uh, as as most of us are uh, these days. Um, you know, that takes a process. That takes something a little bit more uh, in depth. Um, now, one of the pieces of research that uh, we've discussed uh, briefly in the past is the commission research, which I, which I really love. And I, uh, you know, the idea in, in, in my words, and then you can correct me is that you can have the same amount of money. You pick, you pick a thousand dollars, you pick whatever the amount of money is that you want to offer as the commission. And that same a thousand dollars will produce different effects depending on how you get to that $1,000. Uh, am I, am I in the ballpark? Can you, can you walk us through that in a little more detail? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, so the basic idea is that even though, you know, you and I might think that a thousand dollars is a thousand dollars because it's fungible, you can use it for whatever you want. It shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. Um, we find in our research across uh, a, a number of, uh, pretty tightly co- uh, controlled experiments that, uh, the way you get to that thousand dollars has a huge impact on even how big you think that amount is. So you might think, well, we should be able to assess uh, the value of a thousand dollars because it's a thousand dollars. But uh, we find that it actually varies based on how it how it's coming from. So uh, we basically look at a, at simple commission type plans where you might uh, either get to a thousand dollars in payout, as we call it, from a larger commission rate and a smaller sales amount, right? Uh, or you might have a smaller commission rate and a larger uh, sales amount. And, that, and each way you might end up with $1,000 that you have actually earned from the sale. And we find that that $1,000, when it comes from a higher commission rate uh, and a smaller uh, uh, you know, sales amount, um, that, that actually makes uh, people uh, feel like it's worth more, that it's more valuable. Uh, and they, you know, when we show uh, different commission plans where they would actually earn the same amount of money, but one uh, seems to stem from this higher commission rate, they feel that that uh, uh, commission plan is more fair, it's more equitable, and they, uh, you know, like the company more. Uh, and so that, that we think is really interesting because it's a framing effect in a sense, right? Like you're getting... Absolutely the same the same information the same amount but just the way it's framed uh differs and it it seems to affect uh perceptions yeah and it's and it's i mean it's elegant in that it's very easy for 
a professor or a consultant to come in and recommend something uh, to a company that's going to cost them a lot more money. You know, you know how you can uh, earn more if you uh, double the size of your sales force, you'll make a lot more money. Well, okay, great. Thanks. That's um, a very, a very big bill you've just given me. Thank you. Um, and this just says, no, the, the, the amount you're giving, we're going to keep it constant. We're going to show you that the way you approach that amount makes a difference. Um, now, I can imagine taking a result like this and, I mean, some industries, some companies have very large dollar values to begin with. Some don't. So, you know, if, if I mean, that's going to already make a difference, right? And I can imagine a manager here listening to this and saying, well, my hands are tied because, you know, our deals are so big and so complicated, but our costs are so high, you know, you know, we have to use a small percentage for our commission rate. But I can imagine that maybe you could say, okay, instead of offering the commission on sales revenue, offer it on profit, right? So then you get a smaller starting number and you can increase the percentage to get to the target amount. Is that, uh, I mean, is that viable in your mind? And and if, you know, what else, what else can we do with that? Yeah. And so you sound exactly like one of our reviewers, which was, you know, their, their question when we went through this, this process, uh, this process, and we showed the finding, they said, wow, that's really cool. But you know, how, how are managers going to actually be able to use this finding, given that, as you said, you know, in some industries, the dollar amount is going to be a greater for for most sales than others. And I think that's where the, getting back to your point about nuance and kind of also thinking through, it, it is, I think, useful for us to test things kind of in these simple models that we're doing. But um, we have to think that the application is going to be a little more complicated, right? It, it, it's not going to be as easy for most firms to just implement our findings in one way or another. So, so I'll, I'll say a couple of things about the implementation of our uh, of our findings that I think will will get to your question here. So the first is you have to be careful, right? Because even if you could change your commission rate like this, you have to think about how it's going to affect your employees, right? Like, are they going to view this as being just something that's done as a malevolent kind of way for the company to try to trick us into working more for less pay, right? Or, or things like that. Are they? And so you have to you have to think about that first. And, and it may sometimes be, it, it's possible that you could communicate and explain what you're doing to your employees with, without, uh, and so they don't feel like they're being tricked. And you might still get these same sorts of effects. These kinds of heuristics are often very difficult to debias. And so just telling people, hey, we, we want to give you a higher commission rate. We think that these higher commission rates are uh, tend to be motivating. Uh, even if you tell them that, and so you're being transparent, and you might still get some of the effects. So that's the first thing I wanted to lay out that, you know, the goal of a lot of this kind of research isn't, hey, how can we trick people to doing more for less? Absolutely. And then I think the, you know, how do you actually implement it? I think you raised one alternative, which is, well, if the issue is that you're going to have these really large sales amounts, how do we make that lower so we can increase the commission rate and 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 keep the amount that we're paying out the same. And I think paying on on different kinds of variables like profits might be might be one option. That may not always be feasible, right? Sometimes you don't it's not easy to go from the revenue to your to your profit for a specific sale. And so that may sure. not be be feasible. But the nice thing is that oftentimes uh, salespeople are handling a portfolio of products. And so you could consider changing commission rates and still in, in many ways keeping the amount that you're paying the same, 
But by strategically, uh, you know, moving around these commission rates, you really are going to be able to shift effort to certain types of products over the other. So I, so I think there's a way to use these findings with a portfolio of products that can that can help. The other thing uh, that that I've seen is sometimes you can transform rather than the focus being on dollars you can use something in research which is known as medium maximization which is basically transforming that into some other unit uh, right and we see this all the time with loyalty programs right we 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 get we may we're not just earning dollars based on what we we spend we're earning stars at Starbucks that we can use and so you could imagine doing something in in the same uh, way where you are uh, creating a different medium that your sales kind of uh, are are kind of funneling into, which then allows you to make some changes to your uh, commission rate uh, uh, and using a different unit as your base. Maybe it's stars rather than dollars. That's that's just a silly example, but but I think there are uh, other mediums that can that can be used. So so those are a couple of ways to maybe take this to make it more implemental for for managers. I'm glad you say that because I was going to I was going to ask you about it if you didn't say it that you know I've got a uh, one sp- company in particular that I work with with some frequency that um, you know they know what their dollar sales are but they don't really talk about their dollar sales they talk about units in I guess a different you know companies could call it whatever they want to call it you know uh, but units is pretty good in general I guess and um, you know they know exactly how many dollars a unit translates to but they use units. So, you know, uh, and you know, it's many, many dollars that go into one unit. So that's one way, you know, you could do that translation. That's interesting to think about. Now um, I do have to say what a great study it would be if you had a situation where you made it very clear to the participants, to the subjects that you were implementing something like this for the purposes of, you know, kind of, brain tweaking or, you know, hacking their, their thought process to, to, to better motivate them and see if that awareness nullifies the effects, because it would be amazing if, if it didn't, if, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen a few instances, I think one was about sort of insincere ingratiation, right? We say, okay, yeah, uh, the customer knows that you're sort of sucking up. They know that you're not that interested in them, but they kind of like it anyway. They respond pretty well to it. It's, you know, maybe it's because it's expected, maybe because they know that that makes you kind of polite or something. But uh, it's it's very interesting to think of, uh, you know, even, even when they know what you're doing. I mean, I, I experienced that in my own life when I noticed somebody is asking me sort of spin type probing questions and I notice it and then I, I kind of appreciate it. I, I go along with it because, you know, in, in my brain, it, it makes a lot of sense. Oh, we're going to, we're going to try to uncover the root cause of this. We're going to try to under, understand how big the issue is. Uh, I used to go to a, uh, I mean, I've seen this in physicians and chiropractors even, you know, that I'm sure they don't call it spin selling, but it's a diagnostic probing process. And it's the same basic thing. And we're, oh, I know exactly what you're doing. I'm going to give you what you need because we'll probably both be better off for it. Yeah, that's that's actually a nice um, transition, if if I may. I have a I have a paper that um, that I'd like. To, it's a different paper um, that that I'd love to chat a little bit about. That kind of uh, links to this idea of the kinds of inferences that cus- customers are making, and when are they making them, and when and and how can they be malleable? 
uh, that I would love to talk about if that's if that's all right with you. Oh yeah. Just to close the loop though on this uh, commission effect paper. So this this is uh, new work that's. Uh, published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology, applied with a couple of great co-authors, uh, Julio Sevilla at the University of Georgia and Rajesh Bachi, who's at Virginia Tech. And and one one thing I didn't mention that, that I really wanted to uh, make sure to say is that one other thing I would I would suggest to companies as they're, if they're thinking about these kinds of framing effects, also think about things like decelerators and soft, soft caps that they might have in their compensation plans. Because I think a lot of companies implement these kinds of things to manage and limit their risk. They don't want to have a salesperson get this huge windfall for something they didn't earn. But imagine how the chain, like I, I, this paper basically tells you that salespeople are putting a lot of emphasis on this commission rate, even over dollar amounts that they're 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 selling. And so imagine uh, what you're doing to their psyche when you're um, uh, introducing these very low or zero percent commission rates for the last thing that they sold. Commission rates matter, and you're basically uh, telling them that they have zero or very low commissions right at the end. So I just wanted to make sure to throw that out before moving on from from that paper. Absolutely. No, that's a great point. So so uh, this this other paper I'll just talk about uh, very briefly. It's because it's it's not 100% focused on just sales, but it does uh, look at something that I have found a lot that happens after I interact with salespeople or uh, with service professionals. And and that is they often ask for uh, reviews, uh, right? And um, these Reviews can be framed different ways, and yeah, I'm sure we've all experienced this. You know, hey, will you please write me, uh, write a review, uh, ex- uh, uh, just expressing how things went today when you brought in your car to be serviced. But we also often get something that we we call con- conditional reviews, and so this is, you know, hey, please uh, write us a five star review, and that is something I, uh, you know, we we've studied in this uh, new work in the Journal of Retailing. And so, again, going to your point about what are the kinds of attributions that consumers are making and when are they positive or negative, as you you might expect, it's pretty negative. Um, And yet we see this happening a lot. So a lot of companies, a lot of salespeople do this, but we find very strong evidence that it's negative, not necessarily in the short term. So you might be able to get more reviews in the short term, but what we find is this has a really dramatic and negative effect on long-term customer loyalty. And so that's something uh, I would definitely say for salespeople, uh, service professionals, it happens a lot because a lot of times, you know, they're getting paid in some, some sense on how these reviews turn out. And so it's in their interest to kind of steer consumers to these, to these positive reviews. And, you know, our work suggests that in general, consumers react pretty negatively. You might have very limited negative effects in the short term. So it may not cause your overall ratings to go down a lot, but it's not likely that they're going to go up a ton. So it's not very helpful and it really hurts the business in the long term. So this, it has this negative effect on loyalty and yeah. So, uh, so that's the main finding of a couple of little add-ons to that, but I'm, I'm curious if, if how you think that that links to to what we were discussing on these kinds of inferences and attributions. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, I've certainly, I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind immediately is, you know, uh, Uber drivers, you know, that uh, says, oh, hey, you know, uh, leave me five stars. Oh, okay. But then it 
I mean, I'm thinking more about the, the system as a whole, right? That, okay, well, if, it, if it, it's the same thing we see with grades, the same thing we see with professor evaluations, like, okay, everybody, everybody's a five out of five. Great. Well, crap. That's not good. Uh, nobody's a four. Nobody's a 4.8. Everybody's a five. That's, uh, you know, I get it. You don't want to, you don't want to get tanked and, and get a bunch of ones or something, but you know, some variance is okay. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, and, and it's one of those, you know, uh, it seems very intuitive just to ask, you know, or, or remind, right? Yeah. And of course we, we are very good, I think, at seeing short-term payouts and really, really bad at seeing long-term payouts. You know, I, I tease my students sometimes we're talking about, you know, learning, learning in the field versus learning in school or in training or whatever before you go out in the field. And of course, in sales, there's the whole long running mythology that it's best to learn in the field. So yeah, you know, like how, uh, you know, like how soldiers learn in the field, you know, how like doctors learn in the field, you know, wait, those people don't learn in the field. Yeah, of course not. Those are important jobs. Isn't your job important? Isn't your company important? Please don't let your people learn in the field. But you know, my my biggest concern, and maybe it's because I'm a, a lover of comedy, and there's comedy built into this, is that if you put somebody out in the field and they succeed by doing something wrong early on, all they see is that they got rewarded for doing that, and you know, you're not going to be able to talk them out of that by having them fail once or twice. It's going to take hundreds or thousands of times for them to fail, for them to snap out of that. You know, it is imprinted on them early on that, well, you know, I, I did it this way and it worked. Yeah, once. But it, that once when it's the first time really matters. It carries a lot of weight. It's like, please don't put your people out there and accidentally encourage them to do exactly the wrong thing because the worst case scenario is it's going to work. And then they are going to destroy your business for the next 10 years or, you know, or however long until they quit or you fire them. So, yeah, the, the idea that we see things in the short term that look good and we just sort of assume that that continues indefinitely uh, is, I guess, a, a, a pretty serious bias or heuristic, uh, misleading heuristic in this case. Yeah, but I it's, it's right. funny that you use the word heuristics because we use this. Uh, I use this a lot with my students, you know, that. Um, you know, we're all trying to simplify. And, and I guess it makes sense now that I think, you know, okay, you're an experimental psychologist. Yeah. Uh, this is pure psychology. We all try to simplify the complexity of the world around us. And the way we do that is through heuristics. And uh, when we're talking about management, we are definitely relying on heuristics, you know, even something simple like hiring your next salesperson. Well, you're not analytically diligently going through every resume that's submitted. You're not you know, checking every punctuation, you're, you're looking for something that tells you which of the, you know, out of the pile of hundreds, which of those are the 20 that you're going to actually call because you can't do it with everybody. You have to rely on a heuristic. What other heuristics uh, are relevant to salespeople and sales managers that we should, we should bring into the light? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's I, I think you you've touched on one already uh, for sure, which is this idea of kind of leader driven primacy. So things that happen initially play a big role, and as you said, it's very hard for us to get away from that, and it leads us to interpret subsequent events in a biased way. And you know that that fits with all the research on confirmation bias. And so once we have it in our heads that, you know, like going back to my paper, if a salesperson somehow believes that asking someone to give them a five-star review is the way to go because 
the first time they did it, they got a five-star review. That's good. They're going to interpret, you know, the next person when they ask uh, to give them a five-star review and they get a three-star review or kind of uh, an angry customer, they may not view it as negatively They or they may interpret as, well, that was just, uh, that was you know, that customer, he was just uh, something about their own person, that customer's personality, as opposed to about the tactic that they had done. So they're, they're already interpreting the same information that they get later uh, through a different lens, because they have already started to believe something. And to your point, it's really hard to, uh, you know, get rid of that. Uh, I think one that is very, uh, so I study numerical cognition a lot. And, and I think there are lots of heuristics based on uh, the numbers that are used as it, you know, we talked about the commission effect, but I think another area is around roundness and round numbers. And so I, I have, you know, salespeople are often, not always, but sometimes they might see their sales ranks that are communicated to them. And I have work showing that people don't view this kind of information as being on an interval scale. Like, of course, if you're ranked first, that's better than two, then and so forth. But my work suggests there's sometimes big gaps in our mind at, at places like the difference between a 10th tenth, tenth ranked salesperson and an 11th ranked salesperson seems huge. And that could be a heuristic that uh, a manager is applying because they are, when they see their list of sales performers, they're mentally creating this category of, you know, here's my top 10. And someone who falls outside of that is placed in a different category. So the psychological process is this kind of mental categorization, but it happens quickly, almost instantly. And it can lead to kind of these biased evaluations maybe of the relative performance of those uh, salespeople. So that's 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 another example. I think there, I think we have lots of things like that using numbers because numbers can get complicated quickly. And, you know, you know, and we want to exert as little mental effort as we can. To your point about being, you know, cognitive misers in a sense, uh, we're yeah. trying to reduce the uh, the energy and the effort. So those those are just a couple. I mean, there are in the psychology broader uh, psychology space, I think there are many heuristics. I think uh, I'll just say, you know, one other one that we know is really big is uh, status quo or default kind of heuristics. So again, this links to uh, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein's book, Nudge, which which really suggests that, you know, at least one of the things they, they talk about is this idea that we are choice architects. So a lot of times when we're asking people to make decisions or choices, we are creating the architecture for them to make that choice, you know, and uh, clearly if the default is that you are opting in versus opting out, you're going to see differences in in response rates, uh, in uh, implied response rates. Uh, And that is driven by the fact that in that case, people are cognitive misers and they're less likely to uncheck uncheck something that's already checked um, and they'll just leave it be. And so they may end up subscribing to your email list as as a result. So the default or the status quo bias is I think a really important one. We're going to stop it right there for now. Please dive into the next episode of the Sales Lab to hear the conclusion of this interview. And by the way, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and to rate this podcast on whatever app you use to listen. Also, share this with your colleagues and friends, and let's continue to have a deeper discussion on all things related to selling and sales leadership. See you next time in the Sales Lab.